stopping by to chill with us at the cozy chat podcast i am your co-host maxine antoine my pronouns are she her her hey everyone this is Corey. my pronouns are he him his hey everyone this is sasha my pronouns are she her and aya awesome so guys how was your lovely week uh, my week has been pretty, pretty good. Um, nothing too eventful went on. Just a lot of like, it rained. It was it? It was raining today. I think it rained or snowed. It was raining like a few days ago. It's been like a pretty rainy week, to be honest, out here. Yeah, pretty rainy. But for the most part, but putting in some overtime. But like. It's been a pretty good, pretty good week. Yeah, my week's been good. I've just been between work and schoolwork because it's like week four of school. So the meat is getting to the meat already. Um, Yeah. So just working on assignments. But work isn't too bad. Like, it's regular. Uh, It's pretty easy. But the schoolwork is getting me. Yeah, I feel you on like work getting to you. I started working this week. Um, so like now because I work overnight, I have to like kind of prepare my body to like do work now and also like try to manage the productions that I'm doing at the same time. You know, um, it's it's been a pretty hard week balancing my new job and producing at the same time but hopefully by this upcoming week i'll get the flow of things that's what i'm praying on um but yeah i'm, I'm glad you guys had such an exciting week i know that didn't sound exciting because like you guys both said it was pretty okay but um um so something that i think you know we should dive into um which is really really important um that we should dive in, especially on the last day. Like when we're recording right now, it's the last day of February. Um, but something I think we could highlight for tonight would be um, the topic of police brutality and how um, you know it still affects us today, and how I feel like personally it's getting much worse. Um, but first, before we get in, I would like to hear you guys' thoughts on that matter. What do you think in regards to police brutality? Do you think it's getting worse, or do you think we've actually improved since, you know, the past? I mean, I don't feel like it's getting better or worse. You know, um, police brutality has kind of just been a constant for us for, like, the last you know, a few hundred years. And the only real difference is that we have a lot more people with cameras at the ready and now they can be recorded and they can be photographed. So now more people can share the information that's happening to them much more readily. Mm -hmm. At this point, it's kind of like, 
why are you, why are we even still really talking about it? Mm. And when I say and when I mean, say that, I kind of mean in a way like why are we still trying to convince people that police brutality is a thing or that it exists? It's mm. very blatant, and the people who quote unquote don't get it or don't believe in it or try to like excuse it in any way there's no point in trying to talk to them on the subject because all they're going to do is try to gaslight you and derail the conversation and they have no vested interest in trying to understand the you know brutality that other communities face you know at the hands of police so the conversation is kind of like it's it's honestly just getting tiring talking about it over and over and over and over again like mm. we already know what's up so mm. it's Not more of a what's next yeah yeah um, when it comes to police brutality, I'm in the same vein. Like, actually, when it comes to police brutality, I think that it hasn't gotten easier. It like it's. I feel like it's just as, it's just as bad because before, like now, of course, we have body cams, we have like audio and all that other stuff, so people are seeing it like play out real time which is extremely traumatic to keep seeing these people dying to keep hearing these people dying like and there's people who will never admit that they'll always like find a reason to explain it away like they'll they'll always believe that the police are justified in killing these people mostly people of color and then there's always the people who are saying like oh white people get killed by the police too and just emphasizing like honestly the most horrible things we think about how the police originated with um how the original form of the police was people who were going to catch runaway slaves so it's like from the beginning it's been a racist vile institution like there's like there's no way about it that like you even see like people just like oh blue lives matter it's just like how many cops like we see cops get killed of course you know that's bad but how many cop lives are like they're just living their life like amber whatever that girl's name is amber What's it? Geiger? Geiger. I think that. No, is it Amber? The um the woman who killed um Botham Jean. Uh she was I don't know if her name was Amber Geiger, but she went into his apartment and shot him while he was eating ice cream. What? So yeah, she got I think she got sentenced to some jail time for it. Yeah, it was Amber Geiger. She was supposed to be sentenced to 10 years. Yeah. So, 
and it's wow. like what even upset me a little bit more about that situation is that at the sentencing his brother gave her a hug oh, like God. this whole sense of like having to like we talked about it episodes ago about forgiveness and having to have grace like mm-hmm. every like you can't when it comes to police brutality it's hard for people to just be upset about it because you always have to be graceful about it you can't be the angry black people about it like of course people like oh black lives matter is just like a terrorist organization but people are just out in the street saying that make black like black lives matter just as much as any other life like, yeah you know it's a terrorist organization an organization that actually terrorizes people yeah or how about an organization or no not even an organization but just a group of people who decide that hey let's take it upon ourselves to storm the u.s capitol and yeah. destroy capitol buildings and steal capital property and try to sell you know U.S. documents to like, you know, Russian agents and stuff like that. So, literally, black people are just saying, "Hey, so stop killing us." But even in the lieu of like, you know, this whole crime fighting thing, we just want less dead bodies. And when dead bodies happen, we want those who kill un- unarmed black people to be properly punished for their crimes yeah uh, the i'll let you go maxine oh yeah um something i wanted to ask earlier um when Corey has said like you know you're you're really tired of having this conversation about like you know police brutality especially for people who are not even acknowledging it do you feel that same way when it comes to the conversation of slavery? Because something I I hear often too is how, you know, when when are we going to stop having to watch like slave movies? Why do we always have to have a slave movie? Why do we always have to talk about slavery all the time? You know, um, we still have that, you know, um, topic and argument there. So I was wondering what, is it, do you still feel that same way when it comes to slavery? Is it different? Um, is it the same, you know? Well, the thing with, like, like, slavery happened, right? Slavery is a part of our history. It's a part of the history of the United States. There's no really getting past it. But I do think when it comes to the whole slave narratives and slave movies, mm-hmm. and that has more to do with the fact, like, it's one thing when you're reading about what happened in slave times, when you're watching a documentary, when you're seeing the photos, like all of those things are traumatic enough. But, you know, television, cinema, they're meant to be an escape Mm -hmm. from all of like the the horrors and the, uh, you know, the slog, the day-to-day slog you know, of just regular life. It's either either you go to the movies to escape or you go to the movies to um, to get some good commentary, right? There are a lot of films who, which 
have lots of really good meta commentary about what's going on, right? You know, people who go to watch like war movies or, you know, even some horror movies and comedies, which are meant to kind of reflect our society back at us in a way that's meant to critique us and make us think, right? Mm -hmm. But the thing with like slave narratives is like, particularly for black people, you know, all it really does for us is, you know, put us in a space of trauma and pain, you know, yeah. even like, the, even if the cinema is beautiful, it's like we're constantly being traumatized, you know, having visions of, you know, black bodies being whipped bloody in slave movies is not fun to watch as a black person. Yeah. Right. Particularly when we live in a country which still doesn't really reconcile all of the harm that it has done to black bodies and black people and that it continues to do to black people. Right. Yeah. So I think I think slave narratives and slave movies are necessary and I don't think that they shouldn't be, be made. But I think that we had a very long stretch where most some of the most of the black narrative films, the black center films, were slave narratives or civil rights narratives, or like they were all narratives about black oppression, right? And it's like, I'm trying, and we're living through black oppression right now. I'm trying to go to the movies to not think about how oppressed, you know, I am and how fucked up the system is just to be triggered and traumatized even more, you know, by these recounts of how you know, fucked up this country is and how violent this country is when it comes to black bodies. Yeah. So again, they're great movies and I think they should be made, but I think this emphasis, like these are the only type of black stories that really matter when it comes to our history in this country. Like there's so much more to black people in this country in our history in our narratives, in our culture, you know, besides civil rights and slavery. So yeah. it would be great to have a lot more films which explore different facets of Black life. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, I agree. Um, the whole Black slavery movies, like, like Corey was saying, I think Hollywood thrives on black pain mm. like they eat like any movie when it comes to civil rights slavery racism jim crow all those points of black pain and oppression are things that hollywood eats up they like to think oh we're so post-racial of course that's wrong we all know it's wrong but it's all performative like they they'll go to this movie and feel like they're the like especially white liberals will go to this movie and think how progressive they are like how much we've grown since then where we still have people getting killed in the streets like 
I still haven't watched 12 Years a Slave. Like, yeah. I don't know if I ever will. I know it won all those accolades, but do I really want to put myself through seeing like yet another black person get beaten? Mm -hmm. Like, is it something that like, I really want to put myself through this trauma? Like knowing that on my dad's side, I'm descended from American slaves on my mom's side, maybe Caribbean slaves. Like, so do I really want to see people who look like my ancestors getting beat and raped and tortured and all these other things? Like the only type of slave movie I want to watch from now on is like movies like Django, right? Like where like Django and Chained, I can appreciate because sure you have like the slavery and stuff in it, but you also get a satisfaction of like, you know, watching Django shoot at white people. You get a satisfaction of the slave master dying. You get the satisfaction, like the scene where Django takes the whip and like starts whipping, whipping that white man, that overseer, was like, it was so cathartic and so satisfying. I was just like, this is the type of narrative I want to see, right? You know, I want to see like that that retribution i've okay. actually never seen django um Same. i've seen <laughs> clips uh i don't know i don't know whether i like the fact that he's taking back his power because i feel like it's untrue to our history like mm. if like unless you want to count like some slave rebellions like i feel like if I saw a story like Django, I would rather see like a story of when Haiti got free. Like I rather would see that because we know that black people were killing white people at that time. Like they overthrew their slave masters. Like, and that's definitely would, a film. Like, why have there is and that's well? No, I'm saying like that should be a film. Like, yeah. why haven't we had a like really phenomenal? Like, I know I know why, but like why haven't we have a phenomenal film you know centered around the haitian revolution right yeah again the answer is like yeah. who like how, why would hollywood make a movie about a whole bunch of black slaves killing a whole bunch of white people but yeah but yeah. that that like that kind of narrative i would i would love to see yeah mm-hmm. yeah because um, i was reading um Oh, actually, sorry. What? No, I was just letting you speak. Oh, okay. Sorry. No, no. Good to you. I was going to ask another question, so that might be... No, ask the question. Ask yeah, the okay. question. Uh, <laughs> um, okay. Uh, let me just... Okay, so do you feel like, you know, since we're talking about, like, police brutality and slavery, how this narrative is always, like, attached to us and stuff, do you feel like the intention is for is like a mal intent or do you feel like it's to educate people um and if you think either do you think that um the are they trying to educate the right group of people or the wrong group of people um what are your thoughts on that because you know to me you know i feel like it is 
traumatizing yet beneficial at the same time, depending on who's watching. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think, you know, slave movies should be advertised for Black people to watch because I feel like whenever I see a Black, um, you know, slave movie all the time, it's usually Black people in the audience watching it. You know, I don't see a lot of, you know, white people watching it or other races who should be watching, watching it, you know? Um, so I can see why you guys are saying, like, you know, it's traumatizing to see because, like, it's not hitting the right audience. Um, but in order to hit the right audience, for me, it would have to be them willing and wanting to watch those things, you know? So um, for me, like, it's like that I'm in the middle. It's like, it's educational because there were some things I didn't know when it, that happened during the slave times that I learned through movies. And there were other things that, like, it was just traumatizing and I ended up, like, not losing sleep because, like, I just couldn't stop crying, you know? Um, so, yeah, I agree and see your points and also just wanted to add to that. But, yeah, answer that question. <laughs> okay, so, um, the, so you were saying, like, where, who's, like, I feel like when it comes to this question, it all depends on who is the team behind the movie a lot of these movies are made by white directors white teams like they're not made from a black like they're not made with a quote-unquote black lens um mm. they're it's like the writer's room or whatever it's barely any people of color in these spaces like i feel like the stories ha are the stories that come from like black creators in this space like even just reading stuff that black creators re write about these times is more fulfilling and more enriching like i read um the 1619 project from new york times and it was a lot of different like black academics black reporters who wrote about like the time of 1619 when the first slaves came to the u.s like i appreciate that more than a slave movie because a lot of times these slave movies are like thrown with a wide brush of whatever it's just like mm. let's throw out we know that this is gonna get views we know that there's gonna be a lot of buzz let us just make another slave movie let mm. us make the butler let us make the help like mm. driving miss daisy Let's make Green Book. Like, yeah, you saved a lot. <laughs> like, it's so many films that you just see a trend of yeah. who are the people creating these films. I think The Butler was by Lee Daniels, but that's besides the point. Yeah. Yeah. Honestly, I think Hollywood is just lazy and that the only movies they seem to be able to make in regards to Black people had to do with either black people being criminalized or oppressed, or it has to do with civil rights, or it has to do with slavery. And it seems like those are the only narratives that they have a interest or some sort of investment investment in making. And kind of like you were saying, like all these a lot of these movies are being helmed, you know, by like executives and producers and you know sometimes even directors who are white and you know you can always tell when there's like a black creative really at the the forefront of these films 
because there's a level of care and grace that you can you can tell was put into these movies right Mm. i think that for like trying to think uh for example um when we talk about queen and slim right in that movie and actually yeah we talk about queen and slim and then we can talk about um during certain during that entire movie even though it's a movie you know about police brutality and its impact and it's a movie about these two black bodies on the run and that even though at the end of the movie you know even though i think that they didn't show as much care as they should have at the end of the movie throughout before that throughout the entire movie there's so much care and grace given to these characters, right? Mm. You know, yeah. there's so much, you know, kind of like beauty in the film. Mm-hmm. Um, and Judas and the Black Messiah, again, a film that's, you know, he- being kind of being helmed by Black creatives there's a level of like care in how the story is being told as to not just like continuously trigger and traumatize the black audience that's going to be seeing these films. Whereas in movies like, you know, 12 Years a Slave and stuff like that, it's, there's, there's just so much there's just so much trauma and abuse and it's just so blatant and it's really hard to to really sit with, you know? And it becomes a thing of like, who was this film made for, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think the term that was being used, especially like after 12 Years a Slave, there was like so much like black trauma films coming out. And the term like that people were using was like, this is all pretty much just black trauma porn. Like it's almost mm-hmm. seems, it almost seems as if people were getting off on the fact that, you know, of all the black trauma and black pain and seeing black people triggered by all these different things. So it's like very weird when it comes mm-hmm. to that. Yeah. Yeah, I see what you guys are saying. Um, I I think, well, yeah, I think, like, you know, for me, I would like to see, you know, diversity in film. Like, I love what Jordan Peele is doing, you know. That's somebody, like, I think I, you know, I follow personally because he makes Black people the center in horror films, which you don't see. You always see, like, the Black person, like, the one that's running away or the one who's not initiating, but they end up dead anyway. You know, um, there was a person to die, but Jordan Peele, he makes them front and center. He um, he gets creative with a lot of things, but it, it always has meaning behind it. It's not just a horror film to shock people. It's meaningful horror, you know? Um, so, yeah, I totally agree with you guys on that point. Um, I do think, like, the most important part for this is, like, who's watching for me. Like, I think it matters the audience than um but it matters not to say it matters more than 
you know, who's praying behind the scenes, but it matters to me who's going to be watching it. So, like, for example, if it's white people who need to be educated on this matter, watching these labels to be like, hey, look at what your ancestors did. Make sure this never happens again, you know, in your lifetime type of thing. Then, yeah, they the movie should be created so they get to watch it because they're the ones who did not experience it. You know, we are, you know, but I feel like in the audience, we I don't see a lot of white people there, you know. So for me, it's like there's really no point if we're the ones who the ones who were traumatized by the content are going to be the same person watching. Like we already know, you know. Um, we already know what our ancestors have been through. We still carry the traumas that our ancestors have been through. We still are going to trauma that's different from our ancestors. You know, instead of, like, getting punched and stabbed, we're probably getting shot at all the time, you know? Um, so, yeah, we experience trauma already in a different type of slavery. So the people who really need to watch it, are, it's like they're not there to watch it, you know? And not to say for, you know, all white people, you know, but like for the ones who really need to watch it, they should be in the movie theaters watching those content, you know, because at the end of the day, um, they need to understand what's going on. And it's not our job to create content for them to understand. We should be focusing on creating content that makes us happy because we have our freedoms. Our ancestors fought for our freedom. So why do we have to keep going in the past to traumatize ourselves? Like we shouldn't have to create a slave movie everybody knows what happened to us, you know, and if they don't open a book, re like watch a TV station or whatever, do what you got to do to educate yourself, but don't rely on us to educate you on how you oppressed us, your ancestors oppressed us, and how you are probably, you know, going along with the oppression without realizing it, you know, that's my spiel on that. Um, and then as far as police brutality, it's still like, for me, it's kind of like, it's a constant thing, you know? Um, and I have a question right after I say this point, but like, um, it is a constant thing that is happening that has so much layers. But something that I'm seeing now um, is that I think, you know, for me at one point, it, it felt like it was much worse now than before. But after doing all the research I'm doing for like this production on police brutality, I realized that there was no real change. It's just the weapons change, you know? and um, the tools we have changed. Like, as you said before, we have cameras to record them. Um, instead of, like, only relying on, like, the, what's that thing called? The baton? Is it baton? What's that thing, that, that stick thing that they have, that cops have? Oh, man. Night sticks? The, yeah, the sticks, yeah, that they would beat people in the past with. Yes. That, I feel like. Um, <laughs> and... You know, instead of using that all the time, they have guns now. They have tasers. So, like, it just, the tools to execute people and to get justice change, you know. So, uh, yeah, it's kind of the same, you know, right now. But I do think there are, um, let me see. I guess what I'm trying to say is I think there are layers that, you know, of police brutality that is not highlighted you know, that people don't get to talk about enough, you know, because it's not realized. Um, and so for me, when it comes to police brutality, I do think there is, you know, something new to find when doing the research and stuff. Um, but I don't think it's our responsibility to have to research it, no. 
but I do think, you know, if we research, there are new things that you would learn and find, you know, um, for example, for me, something that I've realized is that how the trauma from police brutality just passes on from generation to generation, right? So like, let's say um, you had, well, you know, I'll use myself as an example. What? Okay. <laughs> I had a family member that went through police brutality right and something that i've realized is that the trauma of police brutality didn't just end with the person like my family member it didn't just end with them and their trauma um their trauma spread to us you know as a family too and something that is not looked at from what i've been seeing um is that you know the family trauma as a result like how has the trauma passed down um and like the aftermath really like i hear about like the protests and stuff like that um which is slightly different than what i'm talking about but i'm talking about like the more long-term effects if that makes sense you know um so something that like i want to bring up right now when it comes to police brutality is like do you guys ever like feel that way that there are still some things that um that either are still like not how do I articulate this properly? Do you guys feel like there are things that could be learned from this still, or do you guys feel like it's the same thing? Um, do you even think that the trauma spreads from um, the family member who either was like you know abused by police or died by police? What do you guys think? I mean, it definitely does impact you, right? When you go through a traumatic experience, it really changes you as a person, but it also changes how you interact with those around you. It, you know, the people around you are impacted by the results of whatever situation or incident you went through, right? Even mm -hmm. if it's only subtle. Um, so yeah definitely definitely true with that mm -hmm. um i do think that the effects of police brutality passed down through uh families through connections um because i know like personally I had a bad, ex like, I'm not going to go into the whole nitty gritty of it, but I had an experience with the police where they pushed me down to the ground. And like, it, it's not that I said I can't breathe because nobody put a freaking knee on my neck. But like, I could have been one of those people who just ended up say her name. So like, that kind of informs the way I deal with police now. Like I, if if things are really necessary to escalate to police, of course I'll call the police, but otherwise I'll try to find ways to get around having to deal with police. Um, but I feel like that, my wariness of the police will, if I have children, I don't know if I will, will carry on to them most likely. Yeah, that's true too. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean like something else that, um, that came to mind when you said that it was like, especially when you said children, it's like, yeah, like the conversation now that you 
you know, would have to have with your kids either after witnessing something like that or to prevent something like that is tough on any like family too. Um, what do I like for me? I, Jesus Christ. I, <laughs> it, it's hard for me when I have these conversations with my brothers, you know, because I know it's, it's definitely going to have, not to say this doesn't happen to women, but it is, whatchamacallit, I just see more men of like that happening to like police brutality happening to a lot of men um so having this conversation with them always gets me emotional and angry not like emotional like oh my god i'm crying tears but like emotional like i want to punch a wall because it's like i shouldn't have to have this conversation with my brothers just so they can live you know like i should be able to just tell them like hey yeah you could walk to school and like pick up some chips for me like for me it's like no, I have to drive them to go to the store, go with them to the store to make sure like there's not some cop trying to mess with my brother, you know? Um, and I don't know if I said this um, in an earlier podcast, but I, I was um, watching this video and they were like doing this, like, it's one of those like docu-series videos where like they talk about statistics and stuff. But one of the statistics that they mention when... Um, this was in the beginning when I was doing research on the police brutality things. Um, but one of the things that they mentioned was that how um, they did a study with police officers. They had white, you know, teenagers, and they had a group of black teenagers and stuff. And as they were like showing the slides of um, white kids, they, they were told like to guess their age. Right. So for all the white kids, most of the cops said like they were either at the age or under. So they would be like 12 or maybe nine. But for the black kids, they will always increase their age. So they would be like 15 or 20, you know, when they're actually 12 years old, you know. So that, you know, already signals to you that, you know, police don't even see black children as children. They see them as, you know, adult, you know, either criminals or adult men, you know, however they see them, they see them as an adult. So whenever like, they're interacting with the cops, they're always going to have the mindset of an adult and how to treat them, right? So they'll treat them like an adult. They'll treat them, you know, they'll beat them, treat them, and maybe even shoot them like as if they're an adult. Um, and so for me, when I have that conversation with my brothers, it always gets me angry because it's like, I just don't want that to happen to them. You know, I don't want them to have to encounter police like that. And so for me, I'm always afraid of my brothers growing up, you know, um, and having to even deal with that situation, just praying like, when they grow up, they always come back home, you know? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, When it comes to like, especially with police brutality, thinking of who gets affected by it. Like I always think like, we're always, I don't go on the streets. I don't protest. Um, but every people are always in these streets and it's always for cis hetero black men but when it comes to black women mm-hmm. black queer people black yes. trans people like you don't see that same energy yeah like, and there's so many stories that are not are just missed like brianna taylor could have been a missed story you know like mm-hmm. like so many and of course, there's people who like you know rallied around her story, but you don't see like as much 
Like Breonna Taylor did not create a whole movement. George Floyd did. Mm-hmm. Like we, like we have this energy and this like effort and like hashtags and media attention and companies coming out with statements saying that they're looking into diversity and they stand with black lives like all of this happened off of like a black a cis hetero black male's death right yeah but everyone else don't get that same energy yeah i totally feel that even with the project that i'm doing now about police brutality and like how many like people who have died from it i've mostly seen men I couldn't find, like, a lot of women. Like, I was trying to find women who, like, weren't, like, in the mainstream. So, like, the Breonna Taylors I didn't put because Breonna Taylor is popular right now. And I know that sounds, like, kind of wrong. Well, it does sound kind of weird. Maybe I'm overthinking it. I'm always overthinking. But to me, like, I wanted to try to find and dig the ones that the media missed, you know, um... So that was a journey, just trying to find them, but I still couldn't. Even now, I can't, you know. Um, and uh, it, it's messed up because even with like, I even tried like trans black men who died or trans black women who died, and then I'm like, I'm getting things from the past instead of like 2020, you know. And yeah. I tried to like center around 2020 since a lot of the cases started skyrocketing in 2020. So I'm like, their death has to be, you know. Um, in a sad way with this person that said it like that oh my god i'm overthinking again but my point was um i agree with you (laughs) about that like we we only focus on the men and um you know it happens to women too it happens to um the lgbtq community as well you know but it's just not highlighted and in some fair honestly because now like they don't get their justice unless like you know it's like you have to become a man in order for you to get to justice in a yeah. non-offensive way. Oh my God. Yeah. Ah. Um, yeah. The other thing I always like that I've realized is a trend. A lot of, not everybody, but there's a lot of cases of people who are going through mental health crisis. Yes. And oh, yeah, they end that's... up killed. That like, makes no sense. So many. And it's just like, if you know you're coming, if a police officer knows they are coming for like a wellness check or something like that, they should have an awareness of how to de-escalate somebody who is maybe schizophrenic, mm-hmm. might be suicidal, mm-hmm. like is not operating in a frame of mind that would co- like of course, I don't want to say normal because n- nothing is normal. But yeah, like, what is normal? Yeah, yeah. So somebody who is just like neural atypical, and they're going through an episode, like they should be able to get as much grace as somebody who is neurotypical. Like it, it just like it's just because I know that there's. Some cities though have done things where they have like a specific there I forgot what city it was. They have like a 
a group they have like a, a group that's not police that will sometimes be summoned if it's mental health or something that's not as serious with the police or they'll be brought up along with the police to assess the situation and it's just like why can't more cities do this yeah we need like just like with homeless people police need to be can't be in everything like yeah police and homeless people don't work police and mental health doesn't work yeah but policing is more about like protecting property or you know punishing people like like policing as an institution isn't really about like helping the individual so more as it is about like capturing someone to reprimand like something happens someone has to pay for this thing so you know you find out who has to pay and you make them pay right and again that might for some that might be an oversimplification and i do want to like i do want to say that you know there are there is more like policing is very hard, right? And it's very complicated. And we put a lot of pressure on our police to be the one, the amazing fix to like a lot of different situations. But a mental health, mental health check doesn't need a police officer. If, you know, the, the patient or whatever isn't typically prone to bouts of extreme violence right? And even then, they should be more of a standby, you know, someone who's on standby and just accompanying someone else who's doing a health uh, wellness check. At least, not not a wellness check, I think that's the wrong language, but like, say they get called to an incident because someone's having an episode and they, whoever's with them just can't control them and they want them to be safe or whatever, it should be fine for them to call emergency services, right? And someone other than police, someone who is specifically trained to deal with people who are having some sort of, you know, episode. Yeah. And be able to, like, calm them down and bring them down, right? Mm-hmm. Or even if they have to detain them, detain them in a way that doesn't put their life in danger. Yeah. Um, I agree with you on that. Like I, during my research too, I found a lot of cases where mental health was, um, was not handled the way it should have been handled. And the reason for that is something that I'm learning is that police officers are not, you know, I have a basic, um, what's called information on this, but police officers are not required to be fully trained, like, you know, to have intense training on mental health training. So literally, it depends on the state what they want to do, but they can have anywhere between four to 12 hours of just mental health training and call it a day, basically. Um, And so as you can imagine, these officers are nowhere near trained in this area. Like they're talking about the same officers who could literally have a high school degree and become police officers, talking about the same officers who, whatchamacallit, are not trained enough on you know diversity issues and you know just trying to immerse themselves in the culture of you know minority groups and these are the same officers who are going to try and handle 
someone with a mental health crisis and who's also a minority, like they're not going to handle it with care, you know, as you know, I think Sasha, you mentioned this before, like the original um, purpose for a police officer was to, you know, capture runaway slaves back in the day. So they still have and are trained in that mindset to capture the thug, capture the criminal. So long as you're black, you will always look like a criminal, a thug, a prostitute, or whatever they think of you. You know, somebody who is, you know, not worthy, according to them, of saving a life, you know? Um, and so because they're not required, they're not going to, you know, have the same care as if it was a white person. Like the perfect example I have for this um, is, I think it was a Colorado shooting in the movie theater. I might have the wrong state. I'm not too sure, but I think it was Colorado. It was this white guy. He was, um, I'm not too sure if he was having a mental health crisis or um, if he just had a mental health disorder. But basically this guy goes into a movie theater and shoots up everybody in the movie theater. He was handled like, that was a terroristic attack on a movie, in the movie theater and people died. The officers there, what did they do? They were able to capture the gun and handcuff him. He's not dead. He's rotting in jail right now. But for everyone else, like, you know, all the black people that I've seen, like Daniel Prude, um, there were so many I can't even name. Oh, Kevin. Kevin. Kevin something. Oops. Okay. But lots of the men that I have on my Instagram right now, those people who were going to mental health crisis, who maybe had a knife in their hand, or who maybe were, didn't have anything, they were just naked and like having, you know, going through their episode, they managed to not be able to know like how to arrest somebody or they didn't know how to defend themselves properly. So they decided to tase them to death or shoot them to death. You know, it's like, what's the point of you? Like, like, what's the point of you going to police academy and doing all those push-ups and doing all those, you know, fake scenario fighting if you're not even going to use it to properly detain people? You're just going to be lazy as fuck shooting people like you don't know how to fight. Like, you don't know how to get something out of somebody's hand. Like, there is no point. Like, if that's the case, anybody could literally be a police officer. Like, a kindergarten could be a police officer if you literally just have to point, you know, a taser at somebody and call it a day. Like, what's the point of these people, you know? Um, that's just my frustration talking. Valid, but it's talking. Um, but yeah, when it comes to mental health, I've been trying to warn people on my Instagram, be careful. If you cannot handle the situation of your family member or someone you know going through a mental health crisis, first call the, um, I believe it's called the National um, Suicide Prevention Hotline. I think that's like their full name. Um, I have it on my Instagram, but call them first because what's happening now is that um, Trump, ironically, signed a legislation saying, um, they're going to incorporate a mental health line specifically, especially during the 2020 um, COVID-19 pandemic. Um, there was a lot of cases of people like needing mental health services and like having price, like mental health crisis. Um, and so they were, that hotline was overloaded for a while. So there's a legislation that's going to um, have a hotline called, I think, 988 and is going to be launched in July, 2022. So in the meantime, you guys can still call the National um, Suicide Prevention Hotline 
I hope I said that correctly, guys. <laughs> but you guys can still call that hotline to like get your um the assistance that you need. What they'll do is contact a, a mental a local mental health center to assist you. Only after that point you know, do you call the police if it's still too much? Like, do not have these officers be the first responders because they are ill-equipped. They are not equipped to handle these um, crises. It may sound insulting, but it is what it is. You know, if you're only having four to 12 hours of mental health training, like, how much good are you going to do? You know, and these are the same people, these officers, constantly having to see, like, cases of, like, horrific scenes like you know dead bodies or terrorist attack like they see traumatic shit all the time and you expect these officers to still be the same people to respond properly to a mental health crisis are you kidding me no do not do that like i just do not call a police officer if you're going through a mental health crisis it is the number one mistake a lot of people are making um i don't know if they're making it now but it was, it's definitely like from what I've seen, it was, it was a constant, you know, thing where people called the police thinking the police was going to help. And you literally don't know what you're going to get. You might have a good police officer who's actually going to do their job or try to save someone's life as a priority, regardless of the race. You might have a good one, but you might also have a bad one who might tase them to death and laugh in their face like they did with Daniel Prude and be like, oh my God, he's crazy or whatever. You know, um, you might have a situation like that. And just to like save people from like that pain, just do whatever you can to help your family members first, then call that hotline. Hopefully in 2022 is launched so that you could call the 988 number and call them first because the 988, 988 number would essentially do that for you. And I think there are some states that are also looking into um, doing a program similar to what's happening in Oregon called Kahoot, where um, they send a mental health, like people um, who are trained in mental health, they send them um, as the first responders first. And then they have to be the ones to report, like, you know, and call like a police to like, you know, assist them if it gets too much. Um, and then there's another program that I think in Cali that they're doing, I'm not too sure on this one, but they have like, um, in their police force, they have somebody like similar to what Corey was saying, where like there's an officer and a mental health um, care person, and they're both, they don't have weapons, they're not armed, they're wearing khaki pants and like a polo shirt to come across as non-threatening as possible for the victim, and they try to de-escalate the situation. Only then does the officer, you know, if it gets too much or if they can't handle the situation, do they call, you know, backup, you know? Um, but yeah, there are like some initiatives, but it's not like on a federal level. It's more like on a state level that, you know, some of these initiatives are happening. Um, but that's just my like warning to people. If you have somebody going through a mental health crisis, don't call the police first. Try not to. Um, and also depending on the state too. Like in Oregon, you, you might have like a better chance calling that cahoots, like the hotline, for, whatever hotline for them is but you might have a better chance there um but not in every state and i don't think that's a risk any family member is willing to take you know sorry that was so long <laughs> but like i just fine. got so 
And I got so passionate about it because as soon as you said that, I was like, yes, I can't believe I forgot that part. Yes. Yeah. I have to warn people. <laughs> but also, because you, you brought up the guy who, um, and I, if you're referring to one, or I think you're referring to the guy who dressed up in like a Joker mask and then went and shot up a movie theater, right? I'm not sure. I think that's... so. He had like, I think wavy black hair or something like that. I thought he dressed yeah. up as Bane. Yeah, he dressed up as someone from like the Dark Knight, Batman, like a Batman villain. I think it was the Batman but movie I... he was shooting up, right? It was during yeah. the Batman movie. Yeah. Okay. But yeah. I. I really don't like this attachment that we that we give a lot of these like terrorists. Mm. We because that's like you said that's kind of what they are, right? Mm-hmm. You know the media wants to portray them as these lone lone wolf gunners and stuff like that, but honestly they're just white supremacist terrorists, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and they feel like they can. It's almost like their duty or whatever to incite to do to do these things. But for that particular, you know, mm-hmm. uh, terrorist in general, it's very weird that we kind of attach mental health issues to all of these different, you know, white killers, mm-hmm. right? Like yeah. they were of sound mind and body. And they made a choice to do a thing. Mm-hmm. Excuse me. But we don't have to attach like mental health to that. Because that really doesn't have anything to do with it. Unless they were like psychiatrically diagnosed with having something. And that's what, you know, led to their actions. Then it's kind of an excuse that we put on them for like, oh, there must be something wrong with them for them to yep. be violent. No, there's yeah. nothing really wrong with them. Like, mm-hmm. people are that violent. Like, America's yeah. built on people being that violent. So, uh, slavery was maintained by people being that violent and more. Yeah. Right? Black people yeah. were terrorized by white people who were just that violent, right? People had entire lynching parties. They had entire picnics. Yeah. It wasn't like a, oh, this one small group just, oh, these two or three people lynched his body. It's like, no, they would have like the whole town coming coming out from like the, the pastors to the doctors, you know? Yeah. So this isn't some like, oh, he was just this random out of place nobody who... Yeah did this one particular bad thing because he had mental health issues. Yeah. Yeah. What they always... I, oh, go ahead. <laughs> Sorry. Like, on the point of them being assigned mental health issues, like, it it's so inaccurate because it makes... It literally leads people to correlate violence and mental health. Like, not every person who has a mental health disorder is a violent person, but automatically now, like somebody says, Oh, I'm schizophrenic. They're going to, you're, they're expected to like go wild, have voices and just kill people. Oh, I'm bipolar. Like 
it's just all like demonized because of these assumptions that, oh, these lone wolves had mental health issues. Like now you're demonizing a whole community who are, there, there may be some people in that community who are violent, but most of the mental health community is nonviolent people. Yeah, I totally agree with you. Like something like I remember that incident with the Colorado dude um, and the news reporters were even saying like, oh, yeah, he had like a mental health issue. Like, you know, he was going through some mental health thing. But let it be a black person, though. They're like, they find some way to articulate thug or criminal in like a gazillion synonyms. You know, like they, they like, they don't make that same excuse. They don't see that, you know, maybe a black person could have a mental health issue. No, they're criminal. And automatically, you know, they say like, oh, um, did they have a criminal record? Do they did they go to jail before? Are they charged with something? Like these are the first questions they start asking news reporters and um what you call it, officers. That's the first set of questions they're asking. But for a white person, if they're are they going through a mental health issue, they probably like need like mental health services or whatever. They're crazy. You know what I mean? They automatically say those things, they excuse these things. Um, even for like the case I'm like working on right now, like they automatically like the video footage that I saw. Um, the man's name is Kendrell Watkins. The footage that I watched with him um, in the full length version, they were saying like when he, um, Kendrell was like running naked in the intersection, um, they were saying, uh, does he have a charge on him? And then the person said no. And then he was like, okay, because I was about to chase him down if he, if he was a criminal. Like that was like the, one of the first things he was saying in the video. I'm like, bruh. And um, even, uh, was it another one? No, that wasn't my point. But basically my point is that they don't see us on the same level for white people when it comes to these mental health issues. Um, even with the news reporter, that's where I was going. The news reporter, when it came to, I think it was the 15-year-old um, child in my Instagram, in the, one of the footage that I saw, um, I might have to go back to make sure, but in one of the footage I saw, they were asking a lot of questions like one reporter he was a white old man but he was asking questions in relation to like if this kid was a criminal like oh do you have a charge um i heard that he went to jail is that true like he wasn't even seeing this 15 year old child who died um but who was shot by the cops at cbs um what you call it? they didn't see him as a child they were automatically like asking questions in relation to him being a criminal of him being a thug and i'm just like he was 15 years old you know what I mean? And, but like, let it be the Colorado guy, situations like the Colorado dude. No, he has a mental health issue. It's, it's bullshit. Yeah. It's bullshit. Yeah. Um, this is something I want to ask you guys too. Um, it still connects with police brutality, but a different angle. Um, so there was this case that I, you know, it was a brutal case. I watched a body cam footage that happened in Arizona with, um, a uh, guy, uh, it was in 2016 or 2015, I think, the situation happened. The guy, he was a, um, a pet, um, a pet, no, an infestation cleaner guy. I forgot how you call them people. Pest control guy. 
Yes. <laughs> he was a pest control dude, right? And he was like at a hotel with his friends um, in Arizona. And the mistake that he made that night was flashing and waving his like pest control gun. Like it was like an air rifle to like, you know, it's like a tool they use. And he was waving it out on the window. A woman down in the street saw that, called the cops. So the cops come and this one cop, mm-hmm. he basically was just, you know, he ordered him to get out of the room and stuff like that. And he was giving him like very um terroristic instructions. You know what I mean? Like how like a terrorist would like talk to a hostage. That's how the police officer was talking to him. And he was like, um, what you call it? Oh, shut up, you woman, because there was also a woman next to him too. Like, shut up, woman. I didn't tell you to talk. And if you do that again, I'm going to shoot you. And he was telling the guy, like, you know, I'm going to shoot you if you make a mistake. I want you to follow my instructions exactly as I say it. And if you make one mistake, you're going to get shot. Do you understand? And so that like this guy was scared shitless, right? And he was trying his best to follow the instructions, but unfortunately he the officer shot him for just trying to fix his pants and stuff like that. Um, but my point in all this was to say that the man, the victim was a white man, right? And this white man, like when I, when I first saw that, I was like, wait, he was a white man and that happened? It made me change my perspective on like police brutality and how like it does affect all of us. And yes, a huge number is affecting the minority groups, but to see that happen, I was like, yo, Police officers are on some crazy level shit. Honestly, like they really like if you could do that to your own people, like you really won't have mercy when it comes to people who are not like you, you know? Um, but my question to you guys is that um during this time, like I read an article about how like because of the whole Black Lives Matter movement and how like, you know, the focus every time there's like a police um shooting situation is always on like black victims that um you know they get silenced too in the process like the wife and the kids that he left behind were um were kind of like dismissed in this because they're not um black and stuff so i was wanted to know like what was your take on that you know like what do you guys think about that should they do you think like they have a voice in the matter as harsh as that sounds um what do you think when it comes to white people when they suffer police brutality, you know? Mm, I feel like a death is a death. A death at, at the police hands is something that no matter what, people should be able to stand up and talk about it. Um, mm. Because even though it's a white, like, even though it's a white person, like, that's still somebody whose law like family members have lost like mm-hmm. and it's just um I'm trying there was one that I was thinking about when you were talking about but I can't remember at the moment and it's just like sometimes you even see people from like Black Lives Matter community talking about these deaths. The white community's not even talking about these deaths. Like mm-hmm like literally all the white community or outside of communities outside of the black community care about is shitting on black lives matter but when it comes to talking about 
white lives that are being taken by police or lives of other people taken by police, they don't have that same energy. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely agree. Um, I don't know. What was like? What was the initial question? Just kind of. Oh yeah, to remind you. Okay, so like, I was asking, do you think that you know, one like I guess, do they have a voice? And when it comes to like, you know, police brutality um, situations, do they? Do you think they deserve to be dismissed? Like how it was happening um, to them, or do you think that? Um, you know, white people, like, also, like, what do you think, like, about, like, white people who've suffered from police brutality and where they fit in? Um, do you think that, um, well, I guess, what are your thoughts? Like, what are your thoughts? I mean, <laughs> white people who have been brutalized by the police should be like, hey, police brutality is a thing. And they should, you know, honestly, yeah. if it, if they feel like it's a problem, then they should organize you like, hey, this is a problem. And they should let their voices be heard that, hey, this is a problem. But Yeah, you know, but that's the thing. I can't speak for them. Yeah. You know, and there's people in that group who, you know, in the same breath that they, they know then they have family who have been, you know, brutalized by an overzealous officer or a corrupt officer. And are still gonna be like act like they don't know what, you know, Black Lives Matter is about or what they're talking about. Um, so, I mean, I really can't speak to them what they should do, what they shouldn't do, what I should do. You know, the only thing I can really do is be like, you know, have a little bit of grace for anyone who is brutalized by police. And that's kind of, kind of it. That's kind of, you know, and if, other groups, particularly those who have been impacted by, you know, overzealous and overly violent cops, if they decide that they want to join our movement, or even if they want to create their own organization and kind of just align with us on the fact of like, hey, police are out here, like, kind of doing whatever they want, and we want a little bit more oversight, then, you know, that's a possibility as well. Yeah, but um, whatchamacallit, that's what I wanted to say, to add on to what you were saying. Um, they are, like, there are people who are, whatchamacallit, talking about, like, that, um, you know, how white people are being, you know, brutalized by the cops, too, but their voices are getting drowned out by, you know, um, the Black Lives Matter movement, um, all the you know, situations that happen to Black people when it comes to police brutality or Spanish people when it comes to police brutality. Like, they're not taking, taken as seriously. It's kind of like the best way to put it, and this might be insulting for men who might hear this, but, like, it's literally when, like, a guy gets raped and they're not taken seriously for it. You know, like, oh, you got raped, you should have enjoyed that. You know what I mean? Like, it's kind of, like, to that effect, where it's, like, they are trying to speak out, but they're being dismissed because um, the situations that happen to minority groups when it comes to cops are like louder than theirs because it's like, well, you're white. So like, why, why do you need a movement? Why do you need like a whole organization? Like you should just like, it's just like a normal, you know, like it's a default for you, you know, like 
why don't I crime? Like, what? You know what I mean? Whereas for, you know, us, like, you know, Black people, minority groups and stuff, it's taken to a higher extent because, you know, we've always been oppressed. Asian people have been oppressed by, you know, um, white people, Black people have been oppressed, uh, Native Americans, you name any minority group, they've been somewhat oppressed by white people. So when it's the reverse, when the white person is being oppressed by the police or like going through police brutality or whatever it may be, it's their voices don't get heard because of, you know, the whole movement. So um, just to, I guess, piggyback on what you were saying. Yeah, just to like add on, it's like, you know, there are voices, but it's being drowned out. And I guess it's not our place to say how to fix it, but it's just like, I don't know, for me, like when I was seeing like that article, I felt automatically sad to just see that a family who, like I took it on a micro level, you know, like a family just, you know, suffering without their father, without, you know, their husband and stuff like that um, in the family anymore because they were brutalized. They were shot down like an animal by the cop and stuff. And they got, um, he got arrested and like he was charged and stuff. But, um, you know, the article, like just reading it's like, I felt kind of bad, you know, like I felt bad because at the end of the day, like it doesn't matter our skin color, you know, like when a person is shot, you know, and, you know, abused by the very people who are supposed to protect us in the first place, you know, it's fucked up, you know, um, and I felt bad, like in my heart, I was just like, oh my God, like, I remember, I'll tell you guys, like, when I found out he was white, I was just like, oh, wow, like, this is different, and I was just like, a part of me was just like, well, they're white, you know, but I'm like, but that's not right, you know, <laughs> like, even, it shouldn't matter, you know, but I, I had to have this internal dialogue within myself, it's like, wow, like, this happens to white people. It was kind of shocking to me because I, I don't hear those cases either, you know? And I don't know how to feel about it, but I it is tragic. It is tragic that their voices do get drowned out. And as you guys said, if they want to organize, I'm sure there's supportive people from all minority groups who would support and try to help out, you know? Um, there might be some who don't feel like it's their problem, you know? Um, but I think that if it is as big of an issue, they should get organized together to also be a part of that conversation about getting these police officers to be straight, you know what I mean? Like sending them straight and actually doing their jobs because they're being, they're like, they're like little bullies in school, basically just with guns, you know? Um, and so, yeah, that was like my spiel on that. <laughs> There was a better way to wrap yeah. that part up. <laughs> I mean, this was this is definitely an intense conversation. Again, yeah. it's 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 a conversation we've it seems like everyone's been having for like the last six years. So it also seems like a very kind of like circular conversation where we just keep going around and around in a circle and it mm -hmm. seems like there's no end to it. Um, yeah. yeah, but I do think that it's still an important conversation to have every so often to kind of just yeah. sit down, and be like, why, you know, you know, just kind of, kind of to figure out, and I don't even know how I want to necessarily word this, you know, 
but you know there's a lot of people out there and not everyone consumes the same type of media so if you know our words can reach someone that maybe hasn't been listening to other people's content and we can just let them know like hey this is the deal this is what's going on then you know i think that's important yeah because especially like with all the information we were giving out like i really do hope someone gets to like hear that because there's a lot of victims no matter the color who's been victimized by cops just for having a mental health issue you know and they deserve you know the accurate information you might have to like dm me for like specifics because like i'm running on low energy i know surprising but um definitely like i i really do hope people get to listen to that and you know just to kind of like wrap up that conversation like police brutality it affects all of us you know like no matter the color it does affect all of us like police officers are you know just need to do a better job and i think that conversation needs to be opened up to the public and actually opened up at times where the public could actually give their opinions on it, you know, in some yeah. way, you know, because a lot of times when they say like, Hey, we have like this open, you know, town hall meeting or whatever to discuss this. It's always at times that people are working. So when there's yeah. actual time where you can make it accessible virtually and all those things for people to talk about it, that conversation needs to be had. The car officers can't have four to 12 hours only on mental health training. They need, training almost all the time because mental health changes you know like there's changes that's been made from like the past five years on mental health you know and what we know you know so they need more training in all these things so that conversation needs to be had and we need to stop for me personally when i say this i really do feel like we need to stop having this separation of like you know um i have to be careful how i say this but you know we need to just have a you know, um, we need to stop having that separation of, you know, oh, because I'm black, this is a black issue. Because I'm white, this is a white issue. You know what I mean? Like at the end of the day, when it comes to police brutality, police officers, it's an everybody issue. Because I've also saw cases where like there was a girl who got raped by a bunch of cops and she was white. You know what I mean? Like it affects all of us and we just need to come together and you know we're getting distracted by like the separation of our races where in actuality we need to come together and use our races to our advantage to our privilege you know to just get people to do their jobs and by people i mean officers to do their jobs you know yeah but i just want to thank you guys for having that conversation with me um on police brutality because i know this is something we wanted to talk about for a bit um but i appreciate that conversation because you know we get to at least put our perspective on it you know and each perspective is a little spin on something yeah Yeah. no problem always glad to converse with you guys yeah yeah always glad to talk about hard-hitting subjects right ah it was so hard because i was trying to be careful of how i articulated myself that was a challenge this episode like articulating myself in a way that's like both good and non-offensive but like offensive in the right way but not the wrong way <laughs> you know to criticize like, and analyze exactly because <laughs> like people are sensitive now so like yeah 
Um, <laughs> okay, so how can the audience reach you? How can listeners yes. reach you? Yes, I am going to tell you right now. This is how you can reach me, guys. Maxine here. Um, so if you guys want to reach me at any time, because I'm awake at all times, kidding. Um, you can reach me on Instagram, Maxine underscore Antoine. You can also reach me on Facebook at MBA Productions NJ. And do we also say email or we don't have to say email? Just to the social media? Okay. <laughs> and I'm also on YouTube, Maxine Antoine. Okay, so on pretty much most social media platforms except for Instagram, I mean, except for Facebook, I'm Sash, Sash underscore Marguerite. Um, and then you can even find me on TikTok now. Ooh. Nice. Nice. I am definitely not on TikTok, but you can definitely find me on Instagram and Twitter at YoungRoyalty580. And also, don't forget to follow the podcast on Instagram and Twitter at CozyChatPod. And, you know, if you have any questions or you have any suggestions for a future episode, or even if you just want to, you know, chop it up with us, Email us at the podcast at cozychatpodcast at gmail.com. I love it, guys. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you guys got beneficial information and you guys got to chill with us. I always enjoy chilling with both of you guys. It's always so amazing. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Thank you again. Take care, guys. Take care, everyone. Take care, everyone. Bye, lovelies. Bye. Bye. Bye.